your favorite time of the month. We are back for another episode of Chilling with JR and Blair. I am Blair, joined by the always incredible JR. JR, how's things going? Good, man. Uh, we have uh, Kazuchika Okada to thank for giving us uh, our major topic of, of the month here. I was a little bit worried. I, was, I started putting our agenda together. I don't know, last week or so when we were trying to arrange when we we're going to do this. And I was like, hey, it's a little late on uh, news for us to be talking about, but not anymore, baby. No. We got a big one. I love it. I mean, I didn't even know, hear about the news until like a few hours after it had passed. Like that's becoming a common occurrence just with how busy things have gotten for me. Mm-hmm. But like I, I I log in and all of here is I think you mentioned something about Okada. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I go yeah, and, look, <laughs> and it's like, oh, shit, this is awesome. I know I messaged you and you didn't know what I was talking about. I was like, oh man, he's going to be so, he's got so much to get caught up on here. I, I love it. And I think like it gets everyone excited again. Cause you know, now we're doing all the talk about where is he going to go? Like, I feel like Okada is, he's an even bigger name than the Jay White discussion, which we just had, you know, not too long ago about where he yep. was going to go because Okada seems, Okada is such a major player when it comes to wrestling and can change either of the company's landscape significantly i love this yeah even bigger than osprey too and it's it's yeah. wild that they're essentially leaving new japan at the same time but and we're going to talk about mercedes after okada too but i can't imagine now crazy things have happened we've we've actually talked about it i'm pretty sure in every episode that we've done so far about that 2024 setting up as like the maybe definitive contract year in the history of well, in the modern history of professional wrestling, we now have these two major North American companies that are throwing big money around at talent. It's a great time to be a free agent. There's some other big names that are coming up this year, but hard to imagine kind of the combination of Okada leaving and we've had Mercedes now in this kind of free agency limbo for almost a year. It sounds like that's coming to a head soon, which we'll talk about too, but can't imagine two bigger free agent signings happening in the entire year than Okada and Mercedes, and we're starting January with mm-hmm. those two. Well, um, they will be signing somewhere pretty soon. So I guess we should we should kind of zoom out a little bit and just I'll I'll read off um, just kind of where we're at with mm-hmm. Okada. So New Japan announced on Thursday, I think it was this past week, that Okada is leaving. It was in like a press release that came from the New Japan Global Twitter. That's where I saw it anyway. Yeah. So he's officially a free agent as of January 31st. Um, He's working a few more dates. His last two dates are in February. He's working uh, February 23rd and 24th in Sapporo. So those are his last two dates. Um, Right now, in terms of what's been reported so far, Brian Alvarez on audio on Friday, I think it was, said that AEW is considered the front runner to sign him. And that the other phrase he used is that uh, they are very likely to sign him which is pretty strong wording. Mm-hmm. Um, Fightful Select reported that AEW is confident as of a couple weeks ago that they could sign him. Um, Meltzer has been a little less kind of definitive. Actually, Sports Illustrated as well, um, yesterday or the day before, essentially echoed the same kind of thing that AEW appears to be the front runner. Um, in the Observer, and I think on last night's audio, which I haven't listened to yet, but um, had seen some people tweet about it, that um aew has the stronger offer for now but that okada has not made up his mind and that there's people on the wwe side that think that they have a shot all that is to say 
that he's leaving New Japan for sure. And we we talked about this. It does seem like anytime we talk about a big story like this, our follow-up episode, we've got some kind of major update. But what we talked about in our last episode, I think it was in December, was the rumor that Okada had signed Barry Bloom as his agent um, for the upcoming contract negotiations. Yeah. And what we had talked about is that if that's in fact true, which we didn't know it at the time, and I think it's been confirmed now, but you don't hire Barry Bloom as your agent to re-sign with New Japan, right? Like you, he he wouldn't need an agent for that. It's, no. you know, you, you get a North American based agent because you're going to jump to WWE or AEW where the big money is being thrown around now. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's going to happen. It's going to be, I, I know he just worked uh, an impact taping on Sunday or a week ago today, but he's not signed with TNA. He's signing no. with AEW or WWE. So I guess what, let's just start with kind of what your initial reaction was to it. Like when you heard this news, like I know you said you had some catching up to do, but what were kind of your first impressions about it? The first thought, I, the first thing I thought of as soon as, you know, I read that, I thought of the picture of him dressed up in the Young Bucks gear, because I mean, like how I don't see a scenario where he doesn't end up in AEW. Like from all for all intents and purposes, I mean, they are the most understanding when it comes to living arrangements. They the travel schedule, because like in WWE, there are a handful of guys, a very select handful that only work minimal shows. And are you going to tell me that an outsider from New Japan is going to come in and all of a sudden become one of those guys that only works, you know, 10 shows a year? not a chance like they have never really treated outside wrestlers to the same level as their own stars so i can't see a scenario where okada goes in there and he's treated with the amount of respect and dignity he deserves by going to wwe whereas if he goes to AEW, i mean you already know the respect that i'll say the respect that tony has for him the respect the fans have for him and all of the other wrestlers because there have been so many who he does have history with there already so for me i can't see a scenario where he ends up anywhere except for aew i think you make some really good points there too and that if you remember what i we talked about this in our last episode too what i suspect was the wild card in the uh, negotiations with will osprey was that you can still live um, overseas and work for AEW and Tony will fly in for these big shows. And I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen with Will Ospreay. Now, I think as part of those negotiations, he was saying, I'm willing to move my family or I'm willing to move to North America. But my understanding is that Ospreay, even after he starts working with AEW full time, I think is still going to be living um, back home. And that's kind of, as you say, could be now again, travel more difficult living in Japan. Um, but I think that um, that could be, you know, a wild card in this negotiation, too, that if he does sign with AEW, does he need to uproot his family and move over here? I don't think that he necessarily would. But mm-hmm. for WWE, probably. I think you also make a great point about, you know, if this is a select date situation, I just don't think that that would be something that they would give to Okada. You're you're very right about them kind of favoring um their own um and that that you know in not giving you know now again different kind of front office and everything but even you look about how you know how they treated a guy like mystico when he came in Mm -hmm. who was already established draw and star somewhere else and they like resented that um which is so weird because he's like he's yours now you signed him like 
and and yet you want him to be some kind of humble whatever it's like well no you're signing him because he's a star and it would be the same uh, situation with Okada, who's already been treated like a star in AEW in the handful of times that he's already done business with them. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the your opening statement there of I can't imagine him going anywhere else <laughs> besides AEW was music to my ears. And your Young Bucks thing, too. I, I insisted that you tweet that out because I just thought it would be just the perfect kind of... Um, gimmick or thing to post online for you know what we're going to talk about the young bucks later too and the sting match that's coming up at revolution but that i i love their current heel gimmick so much and just the idea of doing the triple h mark pick with uh, okada instead of triple h getting to do it and just how how upset people would get at it and it would just be so beautiful and and perfect would lose their minds at it like twitter would burn down because people would get so upset it would be amazing I, I can't think of a better thing that would just like amplify that gimmick to the next level because they're real like uh, I'll get more into it later but like it would just be the perfect scenario for what they're trying to do with the EVP characters so that, absolutely I'll, I'll just leave it at that now let's let's um let's just continue down kind of looking at this from AEW's path mm-hmm. and then there's some things kind of from the New Japan side of things that I want to make sure that we touch on too I think maybe that's even the most, I know we're an AEW focused podcast, but I think kind of what this means for new Japan um, is maybe even the most interesting topic here. Um, But if you were programming him, like let's say, so his last date is February 24th revolution is March 3rd, I think early March. Um, So Let's just say in a hypothetical scenario, Tony Khan does the typical like he did with Will Ospreay in like the week or two before full gear of like we're, we've signed a major free agent. They're debuting in a surprise or whatever. It's a mystery signing at Revolution. Let's say it ends up being Okada. And so as of Revolution, you have Okada in AEW. What would be your first program that you would do? Um either the leading into the next pay-per-view cycle, which would be double or nothing unless mm-hmm. they add something or it's first big TV program. Like, you, you know, one of the just fun things to think about anytime there's a major transaction like this and a new major star jumping from one company to the next is you can imagine all of these matches that at least in AEW's case with new Japan, they could have hypothetically happened because they have that relationship. Yeah. But in a lot of times it's like, we never would have thought that we could have gotten essentially an endless number of Okada matches with um, AEW talent because we this even even though I did bet money on him signing with, uh, AEW, so there's another reason why I'm super pumped about um, that potentially getting cashed here. But if you had the chance, like first, what would be the first big match you'd have with him? Because Tony's got to be if he if he's sending out these tweets that are as confident as or seemingly hinting at you know, um, something to brag about anyway. And it could be Okada signing. You've got, he's got to be thinking what's the first program. So what what would, what would it be for you? Well, I'll preface this by, I think this is the first pay-per-view in a long time leading into revolution where we are six weeks out and you already have like a solid structure of a card for what we're, what we're getting at. And you kind of see that they're still promoting or still pushing the Chris Jericho versus Don Callis family feud. Um, I think you head into Revolution with a Jericho versus Takeshita match. You have the Callus family there. Obviously, there's going to be some shenanigans, some, you know, 
extracurricular activities and you know post-match maybe there's a little bit of a beatdown. all of a sudden you hear the coins drop and out comes okada you start your first tv feud as jericho and okada versus the callus family so Takeshita and hobbs you have you can interchange who you want in there you know fletcher doesn't matter so you start that as your first tv feud you break that off and into double or nothing you run jericho versus okada because wow. they, did, they did the Rainmaker, Painmaker before. Let's get that one time in AEW because I feel like it keeps Okada away from the title picture a little bit, but still at a main event level, you know, right. because Jericho is still one of the biggest names there. And you can already kind of see, you know, with like Moxley, he's kind of got his thing going on, like his brooding self, um, Danielson. They're all kind of tied up with different things. Omega's still out of the picture. So I feel yep. to bring him in, but keep him away from the title picture, Jericho would be the guy you kind of have to saddle him up with. And I mean, I know that there's the discourse about Jericho going on right now, but I think that it's still more beneficial to put, him with, put Okada with him than to kind of have him toil or not be a focus of the title picture. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought Jericho, but I mean, big star. So it'd be a big match right away. Jericho puts him over, no problem. He puts everybody over. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that solves that. That would be an interesting direction. Moxley was one I had down. Yeah. He cut a promo last night on Collision, uh, which was great. It was simple. We were talking before we started recording about how Collision has just kind of found its its way into being this just wrestling centric uh, show that just has these solid to sometimes great matches on it. And so they had a couple of post-match promos that were just so like these just classic baby face promos last night. One was from Moxley essentially just saying like, you got to step up. Anyone's if you're ready to step up, I'm ready to go. And it was mm-hmm. just like classic Mox. It was awesome. Adam Copeland cut a great promo last night, essentially for the first time ever, just being like, I want the TNT championship definitively. He'd kind of been almost dismissive of it before, but just giving him kind of a clear direction to continue going with Christian. Um, but I think, I think maybe Moxley is a possibility. One other potential possibility is Eddie Kingston. There's Mm -hmm. no, you know, he's obviously the triple crown continental crown champion. And so I think that would be maybe an interesting direction to go. And I think you're right to mention, I don't think Okada can be in the world title mix quite yet. And that's one of our topics coming up too. I just think would be, it's very clear that there's something's going to happen with Swerve or Hangman next. And I don't know. I think there's a, some really interesting possible directions in terms of where they go with that. Um, but man, yeah, you, there's a pretty long list of dream matches that you can have. Um, and just the idea of getting regular Okada pay-per-view matches and get him having a chance to do kind of his 30 minute classics in AEW um, would be fantastic. And I do want to also say that like, if he ends up in WWE, that is, that would be a, tragedy mm-hmm. like definitively so anything like my excitement about him jumping to north america to come to it's exclusively <laughs> under AEW. the premise that he's going to aw because if he goes to wwe like i don't i don't i don't even want to think about it it would just like what there it just it wouldn't excite me in any way like in the same way that like kind of punk jumping there or cody jumping there like and i and i don't know you know, we don't watch WWE as much as a lot of other wrestling fans do, but like Mm -hmm. the appeal is in, okay, what's the first promo or what's the first segment? There's a curiosity factor. Yeah. And then they just kind of, then you just realize, oh yeah, I, I remember why I'm not watching WWE. This just isn't for me. Um, And they're being added to an ecosystem and 
a universe of, you know, kind of shitty, boring, um, cartoony wrestling production that I, I don't like. So I, I just, the idea of, you know, the Rainmaker, um, the actual crown jewel of New Japan Pro Wrestling jumping to WWE uh, makes my skin crawl. So I do not want that happen uh, whatsoever. Not a, not at all. I mean, for when it comes to WWE, like I'll try to check out the the big events, you know, like Royal Rumble's coming up. Yeah, I'll probably watch that because I mean, the Rumble are always kind of entertaining times. But for me personally, it's tough to get into the weekly programming. And it's, uh, I think because when it was the only option for so long and you're sitting there watching it and it becomes such a chore and you hate watch it, then it's yeah. like you have to take a step back. So for me, I'm not they haven't done enough yet to bring me back, but they have I still keep interest into what's going on because you kind of have to. So. Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about this from the New Japan perspective uh mm-hmm. before we jump into talking about Mercedes here. But and some of this stuff we talked about last time and I had mentioned that, you know, if you get too much talent drained from New Japan, that is that's not a great thing, right? And and I do feel I feel bad for the hardcore New Japan and Okada fans that, you know, in the same way that I wanted Cody to stay in AEW and it was a bummer that he jumped to WWE because I knew that like he was going to a place where I was just probably not going to watch him wrestle um, permanently. Um, But like, I do feel bad for New Japan fans that are like, oh man, this, you know, biggest star essentially jumping and leaving. But as we talked about last month too, Okada deserves to get in on these millions of dollars that are being Mm -hmm. tossed around. Like that's, you know, and I think that's part of what is happening here. If, if maybe not the biggest factor is that Bushiroad either can't afford to or won't like afford to throw around the money, the millions of dollars that he can get from going to WWE or AEW. And, you know, I don't resent him for that one one bit for wanting to get in on this. No, um, not at all. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's one of those things where like, I kind of look at it like for any wrestler, like go get paid, you know, like you're the ones that put, you're putting your body on the line. So if WWE is going to offer you 5 million and you want to get that bag, go get it. Like you might as well. Um, I was thinking about it and because it seems like new Japan, there's a lot of talk of the contracts being up because, you know, I mean, Okada's taken off. Osprey's already left. They sort of have a thing where I think they sign guys for one year deal. So like every yep. January, all the contracts come up. And I think that this is really a time where with Okada leaving, it's almost like they're able to do a reset and yes. elevate some of the other guys. Like, cause I'm looking at it like, if I'm a guy like Gabe kid or Zack Sabre jr. I mean, like you're seeing all this room at the top moving out of the way. This is your chance to cement yourself in New Japan, put a like put your foot down and really get elevated to that next level because they're going to need a top guy. You know, they're going to need top faces. They're going to need top heels. Zack Sabre Jr., he can still go over and wrestle, you know, twice a year at AEW for these dream matches while still getting paid by New Japan, getting the, these big contracts. So I think yeah. with Okada leaving, this is a chance for New Japan to really start pushing some of those younger guys, getting those guys who haven't been able to kind of break through because you have Okada, Osprey, Tanahashi, all these guys still there. So maybe yeah. you're, you're Shota to move to the next level. You're Yoda, Sujis, yes. all those kind of guys to kind of rise up a little bit. So I think with how much it sucks for one of the best wrestlers ever to be leaving your promotion, it's a chance for the next generation there to really cement themselves in their place in New Japan. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned the names you mentioned are ones I had written down here too. And the reality is the wrestling business has always been about creating new stars. It just, that's, that's what the entire industry is about. If you're going to be a promotion that is around for any significant amount of time, there needs to be the refreshing of, of new stars or you just become stale. And they had Okada on top for 12 years. Mm -hmm. That's a way longer typical run for a top star than um, histor historically almost anywhere, right? Like he's, he's allowed to move on. And as a promotion, you have to be able to move on and to create new stars or you shouldn't be a booker or a promotion. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, it's been Tanahashi and Okada and Naito for, again, almost the same amount of time. And as you say, and you mentioned some some names there, I think U Uimura is another one that yeah. I think could have uh, could step up. Um, ELP, too. Um, Hiromu stepping up from the junior division to be a main event guy like it's you. And what happens too is I think historically sometimes you need wrestlers to actually leave a promotion or territory because then the pressure's on like on the promoter that you absolutely have to do it. Now it's not always the case. And part of what I think is unique about, you know, Swerve Strickland's come up in AEW right now is that he's, he's like forcing his way in. It's not that someone has left and opened up a spot for him. It's just like, he's so good and is getting so organically over. Mm -hmm. He's kind of almost like an exception and AEW's, you know, MJF, Hangman, those guys weren't huge stars before AEW um, came around either. So they, they've they created new stars even while having, you know, a ton of talent there. But if, if you look back at like one I was thinking about was, you know, trying to do the transition to Bret Hart from Hulk Hogan in like the early 90s. And the temptation was always, and if you remember the ending of WrestleMania 9, so WrestleMania 9 was Bret against Yokozuna, mm -hmm. and Bret was the champion going in. Yoko takes the title off him, and then they do the screwy finish where Hogan challenges him to a match, or Yokozuna, and then th that was the way to get the belt back on Hogan. And so they put it on Bret because Ric Flair was leaving originally, and then Hogan wasn't there anymore. But then as soon as Hogan is back, the temptation of the promoter, which was Vince McMahon, obviously, was, well... Hogan's the actual draw that I know has drawn historically. I want to put the title back on him. He's available. He's here. Let's just go with the guy that we know instead of Bret Hart as this unproven draw. But then Hogan leaves at the King of the Ring later, and then he's gone for good. And then eventually around WrestleMania next year, that's when they make the decision on Bret over Luger. But it was like they were whenever he had a chance to go back to Hogan, he did. Mm -hmm. But it was when Hogan was gone, gone, that it was like, okay, well, now we have to make a new star. And I think, um, and maybe the WWF to New Japan comparisons aren't the best to make. But even if you look at the the boom period of the late 90s for WWF, if Bret is still there, if Hogan is still there, if Hall and Nash are still there, um, even I think Shawn Michaels retiring after WrestleMania 14 opens up a spot for The Rock. But I, if all those guys are still there taking up spots, I don't think you have the Austins and the Rocks, these next level generational stars to have the spot because all the other guys would be taking them up. And so <laughs> I think you nailed it in terms of like Okada leaving is like the pressure is on now. There's no excuses. You you have to make new stars. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, like you say, Shota and Yoda Suji, especially I think Zack Sabre should be like your gaijin you know ace now like there's no reason for him not to be um and they have plenty of talent it's just about now you've got to turn them into stars and they're right there ready for it but this is pushing you and forcing forcing you to do it
before you had started talking about that uh my first thought was like this is the time of like new japan's next generation era just like wwe had in the mid 90s where like yeah you're having to create the new stars you're having to push these guys so that was my first yeah thought with that one. piper's piper's gone savage is gone hogan's gone like it's not it's you get you just got to do this now the, the one other thing because i know you know thinking about so now the other complaint that i've seen or heard is that well now any any top new japan guy that gets over they're just going to do what okada did and they're just going to go where the money is and now again i'm an AEW fan so i'm not as concerned about that as new japan fan would be but i just i i think that's being overly presumptuous at this point like Mm -hmm. this is we still like this is one example now there's tons of other like foreign talent that have done it even recently jay white and will osprey and omega before that aj styles you know whatever there's a bunch of them but it wouldn't i i I don't think that's a major concern and and not and again not something that they even have to be concerned about because you got to make new stars anyway and Mm -hmm. if they leave after a few years then that's just the natural course of any wrestling promotion but i just wouldn't be you know and we've even seen recently some of the guys that we had brought up you know in last month's episode look at Dolph Ziggler he didn't go to AEW. He went. He is now signed with Impact, and he's doing some New Japan dates, including mm-hmm. some dates in Japan. Matt Riddle, MLW in New Japan. Uh, Mustafa Ali. He's doing the New Japan show, the Windy City Riot show in April for New Japan. Um, and not that these guys are replacements for Okada, obviously, but I just think the wrestling ecosystem right now, as much as people are trying to frame it as people are only going to end up in WWE or AEW, we actually have recent you know evidence that that's not the case um for some of these guys and i'm actually really really happy that um, none of those guys ended up in um in aw for now i mean and even to further that you still have matt cardona who's on the indies just still being one of the hottest draws out there so it's proof like straight up proof that you can go if you aren't a member of AEW, WWE, you don't have to be, you don't have to go to TNA, you don't have to do New Japan. You, there are other options for you. So it's not just AEW, WWE. You can go, you can make a living do wrestling and you can continue putting on these great matches. You can continue building a name for yourself. So there, there is more to wrestling than just the main two. And it's being shown with, you know, guys like Ziggler, Ali, Riddle, where they're able to go to TNA, go to New Japan and, they aren't losing a step. It's, you know, still business as usual. There are options for them. So, And I think importantly, and you mentioned this with Drew McIntyre in our last episode, for some of those guys, especially like Ziggler, for example, like seeing him come out at Wrestle Kingdom, like that was really cool. Just like, cause it was a total mm-hmm. surprise. And it's like, you get to see him in this new light where, whereas, you know, if it, he had made the jump immediately to AEW, it'd be like, oh, now here's another ex WWE guy that, did we really want to see Dolph Ziggler? But now it's like he's cooler because he went to New Japan. And like sometimes you've got to get that WWE sheen off of you um, before you make the jump. And it's like if if Ziggler goes out there and has like these incredible matches in New Japan, um, then in a year from now, when he goes to AEW, it'll be like, well, here's a guy who's gone out and proved it. He's not just some kind of product of the WWE system, but now he's kind of this new guy. He has this new... Um, like authenticity to him, I guess. Yeah. Um, and now he comes to AEW and it doesn't quite seem as, you know, just kind of a WWE cast off situation, but a guy who's gone out there and proven it. Um, and so it's, that's part of the healthy wrestling ecosystem. Yeah. And like, like we said, I just, I, I'm not going to resent Okada. I mean, I will resent him if he ends up in WWE, <laughs> but I certainly not going to resent him 
for wanting to make millions of dollars and going to uh, AW and um, you know, what, what else is there left for him to do? Like yeah. he's, he's 36 years old. He's been on top for over a decade. What else is he going to do in new Japan? This is like, this is exciting. And again, we're not from like hardcore new. J- I love new Japan. It's my yeah. second favorite promotion, but I'm not, you know, this isn't kind of getting to me on an emotional level that it might do with some of his biggest fans, but like, this is exciting to me. Um, so that's kind of my perspective. Um, on time for him thing. to go get the trios titles with the bucks and make all that's right. Ready Let's go. Um, this is a perfect segue into transaction talk, which will become a regular segment on here. We might even get intro music to it. I just took an edible last night and it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so um, it's a chance for us to talk about, you know, all the transactions that happen, all the rumors, because it's a regular thing when it comes to sports, the regular thing when it comes to wrestling. So why not continue it and talk about it? So Okada would have been a big part of it, but we kicked off with the show. Um, Mercedes Monet, we've talked a little bit about her, um, just with what the rumors are that she's expected to sign with AEW imminently. And I'm sure she would be debuting right off the bat as well. Um, that is the biggest name. I think when we look at some of the names, I have jotted down for transaction talk because Mercedes is a game changer. When you look at it, it's a, she's a huge addition to the division, a huge addition to programming. I mean, she has a star written all over her. She can go in the ring and she's the kind of person you want to be adding to your roster. Absolutely. And then the big change, because we did talk about Mercedes in December when we last recorded. And at that time, it seemed like the scales were tipping more into WWE's favor. Uh, It was Fightful Select that reported at that time that the working plans for Mercedes to join AEW were no longer the working plans. And so, but now, as you say, um, Andrew Zarian, uh, Fightful Select, Meltzer are all reporting that she's expected to sign with AEW. Um, I think Meltzer said that she's, she's going to come in after some acting obligations of some kind. So yeah, it seems like now again, uh, now some of that, and even Meltzer has said this too, of like, I'll believe it when I see it in terms of when the pen uh, goes to paper, um, because there's been some, as we talked about, I went through a timeline of it last month that, you know, there's been some other instances where AEW has thought she was going to come in too. And it just never happened for a a bunch of different reasons. Mm -hmm. But as you say, this is huge. And like I said, off the top, can't really imagine two bigger free agents and Okada and Mercedes jumping or signing somewhere else in uh, 2024. Um, so this would be huge for their women's division, which feels hotter right now than it's been. Yeah. I think probably since Jamie Hayter was the champion, you've got the Tony storm gimmick who I I've been critical of kind of the in-ring stuff there, but even some of her promos and backstage stuff, they just pop me with how kind of silly and, and fun they are. Um, but she's clearly getting over, mm-hmm. right? And they've signed uh, Deanna Prazo, and so she's fitting in like really well right away. Has had some good matches. The Mariah May character with Tony Storm is working well. Um, it's Queen Aminata is like looks incredible. Like yeah. she's like looks like she's going to be a real player and is getting regular matches. So I think if you were able to bring in Mercedes to all this, it just kind of elevates the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And. Now, not that we need to worry about from a business perspective, but we do talk about that from time to time on here. Uh, The Voices of Wrestling guys did kind of like a a study a few years ago about um, comparing her as a ratings draw to Roman Reigns. Now, this was prior to like the bloodline thing really taking off with Sami Zayn. But essentially, they just showed that she was like the biggest television draw that WWE had at the time, which is a couple of years ago now. But I think 
you know, other than CM Punk, I can't like, I think Mercedes has a legitimate chance to have be a really big business mover for AEW in a way that's exciting of just kind of elevating the promotion. And she has some really hardcore fans and a lot of them too, that I just think she has the chance maybe more than like, I don't know, just insert anyone jumping from WWE. And I, I think she's just such a uniquely talented star that she could be bringing new eyeballs to AEW in a way that kind of makes them just feel like a bigger deal. And I think that's exciting too. Um, I asked you this question with Okada too. Like, how would you book her first month or so? Or what's the first big program or two that you do? Like, how how quickly do you get the title on her? I think is one question too, because it would be silly, I think, not to put it on her at some point. So what's kind of the timing that would make the most sense to you? Um, well, before I, I give you that, I think one of the things with um, Mercedes is because she she kind of beats to the bang of her own drum in the sense that like, hey, she wanted to go wrestle in Japan. She's like, I'm going to go do that. She wants to do acting. I'm going to go do that. She's not just uh, like going by the norm being like, oh, well, no, you got to wrestle AEW, WWE, you know, like those are your two options. No, she's doing yeah. what she wants to do. She's exactly she's creating the legacy for herself. And I think that is incredible. So I think that puts her almost more in demand when it comes to the kind of draw that she is, where it's like, mm -hmm. she doesn't need to do that, but if she wants to, she will. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, she can go and do that. And it almost gives off more of like a star vibe in a sense. And I think Ali's kind of following that, right? Like, yeah. and it gets back to what we were saying before. It's like, it doesn't have to be just WWE or AEW. Like there's a way to kind of make yourself. Now you have to be good enough and mm -hmm. you have to have at least some level of a name, but it's like, you're right. Like, and I, res I respect that so much of just, she's just like, this is something that I want to do. And even her quitting WWE in the way that she did, it was like, you don't value me as in the way that I should be. Um, here's how much money I want. You're not giving it to me or you're not using, you know, the tag team championships as much as I, as you want. Well, like, fuck you, Vince, I'm leaving. Like, I respect that. And I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I just respect her wanting to do it on her terms in her own way. And I, I respect that a lot. Yeah, it's it's almost the perception from the fans of what what they see with her. So I think it, she comes off even more of a star instead of just like as soon as that contract ended, being like, "Oh, I'll go work for AEW." You know, yeah. like it, it doesn't seem as second rate in a way. So, but uh, actually, I was thinking about that, and um, I don't like when somebody shows up right away and they just jump right into the title picture. If it's a constant thing, like we saw Deanna do that. Okay. That's cool. You know, like there, there's your one, but if Mercedes is coming in, in the next, you know, couple weeks, I think I'm putting her near the title, but not there yet. So uh, the first feud I would have with her is actually with Mariah May, because I think then she's still connected to Tony storm because of the feud with Mariah and it gives right. them a chance to continue to build that. And then for her to eventually move on to um, feuding with Tony Storm. Yeah, I like that's, that. That's how I would do it. I had the same idea. Like she, I mean, you could, from a narrative point of view, obviously, although the rankings are coming back, which uh, does change things a bit, but obviously yeah. Mercedes is, a, is as big of a, a big enough star that she could just show up and say, well, I want a world title shot. And everyone would be like, well, yeah, of course she deserves one. She's Mercedes. Um, but I'm with you. Um, I think Mariah May would work. My idea, although I don't think she's healthy, or at least I don't know why she's off off TV, 
But I like the idea of like Britt Baker coming out and cutting a yeah. promo being like, I'm the star of this division and I'm back and the spotlight needs to be on me. And then boom, Mercedes music hits. And it's like, actually it's not because now I'm here too. And they, and have like Mercedes beats Britt Baker in this first big feud. And then that's the launching point to, to uh, beating Tony storm uh, for the title. What I would love to see eventually is um, if she's healthy, I think Jamie Hayter winning the women's title at um, Wembley stadium would be really cool. And I think probably the biggest match they can do in this division is Mercedes against Jamie Hayter. Um, So I would try to get the title probably on Mercedes, maybe around double or nothing. And then that gives her a title run from whatever, May until August. And then Jamie Hayter can come back and win it on home soil. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Britt was actually the first name I thought of, but I think she's hurt if I'm not mistaken. Pardon me. I think Tony mentioned that at the, uh, the press scrum or press conference is what it really is after world's end he mentioned her as part of a list of like injuries mm-hmm. so there's something going on there I haven't really seen any reporting on what the specific injury is but i i think it's injury related in some I, way i think so too but if she is good to go that would be i would do that right off the bat because it, to me then it's almost like a second main event women's type feud because you already have tony and diana or wherever they're going with that um yeah and then, but to have another one at that same level, which is something that they kind of don't always do. They'll have, you know, their main feud, then, you know, the TBS feud or something of that. So to have, you know, Tony and Deanna, but then also doing Mercedes and Brit, that would give them quite the one-two punch for a division that is clearly on the rise, has absolutely been crushing it. So I would love that. And I think I, with we can let's go through some of your other names here for transaction okay. talk. But I'm, uh, I'm going to give you names and you can give me your thoughts on them. Okay, beautiful. Let's do it. Okay, so on the outs we have Sean Spears. He is being a he's he, he's done. I'm trying to think of the word um, <laughs> when it comes to like adding to the roster and all that. But he, so Sean Spears' contract is done. He's gone. He he, he was he was a day one guy. I mean they yeah. They, they tried with him. He did have some big matches, a, a couple big moments, because, I mean, his chair shot of Cody year one yeah. was something that a lot of discourse uh, about that. But um, he's on the way out. He's got his training facility. To me, he's uh, someone who I would not be surprised to see show up in TNA or even making a, a one-off in the Rumble. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's set up perfectly to come in at number 10, right? Which yeah. I've seen other people say that too. Um, he's a guy who has like a ton of respect in the industry of like, they even use that as kind of the story, um, with that feud with Cody. So that you're, so you bring up exactly what I was going to mention too. So they did, that was at the, um, fighter fest show. So this is back in 2019 before AW has television, Cody has the draw with Darby. And at least I think this was the show. So again, Co- Cody's the man, by the way, and in, in like one of his first big matches in the company, he goes to a draw with Darby Allen to put him over uh-huh. and make him a million bucks. And that was kind of the launching point for people recognizing who Darby was. But anyway, the angle after that was the chair shot that completely busts open Cody Hardway. And so then that led into at the first all out, which was still pre-television, Cody's big match at that pay-per-view was against Sean Spears. And it was like just okay. And with Sean Spears, like that was if he was going to become a guy, that would have been the moment before they had yeah. they had signed all these other guys because then the the as he was there, like the talent roster just got so stacked 
But if he was going to really show himself and to like, you know, maybe cement himself to the audience or to Tony, that would have been it. But like, I think the reality is like the whole story of that program too was, I want to show that I'm not just a good hand. He had a sit down interview with Jim Ross that was really good. And Jim Ross kind of complimented him by saying like, oh, well, you know, you have this reputation in the industry, like as a really good hand. And he viewed that as like an insult because if you're viewed as like a good hand, it just means that you're like a good worker that can work like, you know, in the middle of the card or whatever, lower card, and you're like a safe guy to work with and blah, blah, blah. But it means that you're not a top guy. And so that whole program was about him trying to prove that he was. And it kind of just ended up proving that everyone was like, right. Um, But like a solid wrestler, if I had a company, like I would sure want him, but it sounds like, you know, he's a guy that just didn't end up on TV a whole lot. Um, And it also sounds like if he wants a job coaching in WWE, then he probably, he has a job there any second that he wants, but, and maybe QT is someone that you're going to mention too, but it just sounds like those are the types of guy that they just want more for themselves. They're, they're trying to, um, I think they're both like in their early forties or whatever. And they're probably looking at like, I don't have a ton of time to like, if I want to be more than what I am right now, I'm kind of running out on that. And so I think you mentioning impact as like a place that he's got a lot of friends there and there's kind of the Canadian and Scott Demore connection that they like Frankie Kazarian left AEW and kind of, because he was in the same situation of Sean Spears of like, I kind of see what they view me as. And I want to go out and try to prove that I can, even if it's maybe a smaller company, that I can prove that I deserve a higher spot than what I have. And so that's kind of the same direction that I see for him too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we talked about Mercedes, another name on there. She's been there for a few weeks already. Um, I think we have the same sort of opinion on what she adds to the company is Diana Perrazzo. Yep. So that that's a massive addition for the women's division. She's been able to show it. The past few weeks, I mean, great matches with uh, Red Velvet and Anna Jay this past week on yep. Dynamite. So I, I love that they've brought her to be a part of the division. I think she's a great ad and a fantastic wrestler. And she's someone who also, when she first left uh, NXT, when she got released, she bet on herself and she went out there. She carved quite the name for herself in, a, uh, in TNA or impact and showed what she can do and really elevated herself and made herself become a big time player when it comes to the women's divisions. Yeah. Her, her match with red velvet. I mean, I think it was that one again. It's there's so much wrestling content now. It's harder to remember these things, but I'm pretty sure it was her match on collision with red velvet last weekend that I thought was like the best women's match that I'd seen in, in quite a while in, in AEW. So and, and again, this seems to be a theme. I didn't think we'd be mentioning this time, but it does show you the benefit of having a healthy ecosystem that's not just the top two. Because mm-hmm. as you say, she gets you know released from NXT or maybe she asked for her release. I forget what the circumstances were. And then instead of jumping right to AEW, it's like, no, I'm just going to prove that I can be the top wrestler in the women's division in this other company in Impact, make myself more desirable to these other um, places and get better at my craft. And like, it just shows you the benefit of having like, you know, um, even though, it, you know, it's not, it's never going to be what it was, you know, when it was on Spike TV, but it shows you the benefit of having a place like Impact Wrestling where these guys can go and make, some of them are making really good money, some of them not so great, but like, it's it's another place that has television where you, the, the roster's pretty deep there too. Mm-hmm. Um you can improve and kind of make a name for yourself. And I, the early returns on that signing have been really good so far. And I think I, I, she's not going to beat Tony storm, 
but like they built her up as like a credible challenger and just kind of adding, you know, some depth to division. Um, so I, I've been a big fan of that so far. Um, continuing on now, this is a strictly rumor. Um, I don't know, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's a little smoke to this fire, but I think a few weeks back, it was almost a given that Camille would be signing with WWE going to NXT. Well, this past week, they mentioned that she was backstage at AEW. Yeah, so that was the, that was the twist, right? Yeah. And there, there were people saying, Hey, she was just visiting friends, but then apparently she was also, she did also have some conversations with people that matter there so that's another name i mean she carved quite the niche for herself as the nwa women's champion and i mean that would be a massive addition as well because i mean she it's not like she ever overexposed herself when it comes to wrestling i mean she she did nwa she did a handful of indies and that was it i think adding her to a roster that's another big name of a, a Sorry, not just a big name, but a talented name at that. So she would also be another massive addition. And I kind of wonder if how much it plays into it, knowing that, okay, you could go to AEW and you could have, you could be right into the thick of things right off the bat instead of signing with WWE and being like, ah, you got to go to NXT first. Because yeah. that's seems like what they're sort of doing with some of these signings where you see like Dragon Lee, he comes in, goes to NXT first. Okay, now you're coming to the main roster. So I wonder how much of that will play into things. And what about the example of Jade Cargill? Like, wouldn't yeah. you like they haven't done anything with her yet? It's like if I, if I'm someone signed now, I think the circumstances are a little bit different, just because they just view her as not TV ready yet, despite the fact that AW made her in, a big star. Um, but like, if yeah, if you're Camille and you're like, well, I just see what they're doing with Deanna Peraza right now, and then I look at see what WWE is doing with Jade Cargill, which is nothing. You know, if I'm her, I'm looking at those two examples and I'm making my decision pretty easy. Of course, money has to be a factor. I will admit, like, I'm not as familiar with her work. Like, I think the snippets that I've seen of her were actually, if you remember, she did do a little bit of business with AEW um, in the buildup to, I think it was the all women's and yes. NWA pay-per-view. So I think, so they were, and they were doing some crossover stuff during the pandemics. So I think she worked... Um, Layla Hirsch. Layla Hirsch, right? Yes. So, and that was so cool because the visual of like the just the size disparity between the two of them made for like a cool way to kind of promote the match. So mm -hmm. I have, I, you know, I, I can't tell you the last time I watched an NWA match. So I'm not as familiar with her, but I know she has a great look, um, kind of carries herself like a champion. They, she was the centerpiece of the women's division in AEW for years. So, be, or NWA for years. So it'd be a good get for either side. You look at it, someone like that looks like her and it kind of feels, like WWE would be trying to bring her in. So yeah, that's an interesting one. It seems, uh, and I remember seeing some initial reports of like, yeah, she's, it's expected she's going to go to w, WWE. And then you get the report that she's backstage at AEW. You're like, oh, well, that's an interesting uh, little twist in that story. So yeah, we'll see. Would be seemingly a good get for either side. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see where that one ends up. Uh, returning from injury, we have party Private Party reuniting. They are back into the tag team division. I I like this. I think it's, I, I was, I'm not a, they aren't like a blow away team for me, but I enjoy their matches. I, I think they're uh, very talented. And I'm hoping that, you know, we're seeing more and more of it that we're getting back to a tag team being champion again, which is something I talked about last time uh, back in December. So I'm hoping, you know, 
they're coming back. We can get the titles off of Big Bill and Ricky Starks back into a tag team sort of feel. So, I mean, they're not a main event team, but they are a very welcome addition to the division. It's always nice seeing a guy come back from injury because, you know, and he's been gone for a long, long time. And to just like see, especially like, you know, if if you're part of a tag team, must have been like this with Dante Martin too, where he sees his brother like form a new tag team with Action Andretti. And he's just kind of like sitting on the sidelines being like, you know, I wonder what, like, what's my spot going to be? Like I'm rehabbing hard and whatever, and I'm off TV and, you know, grinding through a lot of this stuff on your own. And you kind of just see everybody moving on without you. And it's, so it is nice that private party gets back together. They've, they've never really been like an act that I've been in love with. Um, Mark Quinn didn't really look that great on, uh, was it Wednesday? He had the, he had the white t-shirt on and was, he was gassed pretty quickly there. And so I think he's got to trim down a little bit. And because uh, so much of what his whole thing was, you know, like doing the crazy shooting star press or whatever, you know, kind of top rope stuff. And so, um, but I mean, you, you give the guy the benefit of the doubt to try to work himself back into shape. It's his first match and I don't know, must've been over a year or close to it. So, yeah. um, but as you say, like just another solid tag team to add to a division that, you know, and it's going to be hard for them to ever live up to that big upset win over the young bucks. If we're, you know, we were talking about 2019 era AW um, with Sean Spears, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think there's potential there. Um, I thought their return, they made it seem like a big deal when they came out in uh, New Jersey, I guess a couple of weeks ago and they got some promo time. So we'll we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if we're looking at it and, eight months time you don't see any improvements when it comes to Quinn then okay you kind of know what you have but you yeah. know give, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt for the, the initial get-go and last but not least uh wrestling observer newsletter they reported that Brian Keith had signed a contract they did not specify whether it was one of the per appearance ones or a full-time because usually when it's full-time you get the all elite graphic um I was thinking maybe it's because he's over in Japan right now because he's wrestling some shows with DDT and maybe when he comes back, we get that official announcement. But nonetheless, I'm excited for him just to get the opportunity, get some solid paychecks from them and more exposure. So I love Brian Keith. So uh, regardless of the type of contract, I'm just glad he's getting more TV time. Yeah, I I mean, you need you need depth to your roster. And I always feel good for these guys because, you know, as soon as you sign with AEW, or WWE, you know, these guys are making more money than they ever have in their entire life. And just Mm -hmm. that kind of that indie wrestling grind that you and like your audience are very familiar with, like these guys that you're talking to, you know, every week on your show. And, you know, you just got to feel good for them because you know how hard it is out there to just be working, you know, these indie shows and booking your own schedule. And it's just like, you get to sign with this multi-million dollar company and you just feel so good for them. And he's shown out like really well in all of his opportunities. And there's like kind of a groundswell of online support for him um, specifically, that's just kind of cool to see. Um, yeah. Um, a couple of quick names. Uh, Cause yeah. Andrade is another one. Um, so yes. I don't know if he was on your list, but um, uh, there he's, it was time to go. I think, yeah. right. Like that match he had with Miro at world's end that felt it was like so reminiscent of and people made this connection of like the Goldberg Lesnar at WrestleMania 20 where you knew both guys were leaving and the crowd just kind of took over the match the difference was the crowd was just silent the whole time but it was very much like uh a match that was worked in a way where it's just like I don't know do either of these guys really want to be here like yeah. uh yeah I think Miro to me 
there's a handful of guys now Malachi Black and I think Buddy Matthews are two guys that have been reportedly like would prefer to go back to WWE. They had an incredible match on Collision um, a couple weeks ago, so they're not maybe in this camp. But like to me, if I'm Tony Khan now, especially we talked about all these signings and people they're bringing in, it's like not that I want guys to not get paid, but if there's guys that you could just kind of get the sense of like they want to be in WWE, it's just like just fucking release them, like just let them go, like. There's there's so much talent out there and so many guys that you already have on your roster that could be using the, the television time and that, that want to be there. I don't think you you worry about an Andrade leaving. Um, as, as impressive as he was in the Continental Classic, by the way. So I know the match with Miro was bad. He was fucking awesome in the Continental Classic. Yes. But it was clear by the match at World's End that he had just kind of checked out or whatever. Um but yeah, if I'm Tony, you know, and a, this is a good way to maybe wrap up the transaction talk too of like, you know, I focus on the guys that want to be there. Um, mm-hmm. Might be, uh, you know, I, I think there's some lessons to be learned about the last kind of year of AEW and just, yeah, focus on the guys that want to be there. Yeah, and I, I will continue on just by saying with Miro, he was someone that I was excited for him to show up. Um I think maybe he held himself in a too high of regards when it came to things. And that was ultimately his downfall. I mean, you know, things aren't going to work out, then let him go do what he wants. If he wants to go back to WWE, go for it. He wants to go do TNA. Hey, there you go. But as you said, keep the guys who want to be there. If they don't, there's a door. Go go do your thing and best of luck. And even for a guy like CM Punk, it's like, and we talked about that in our emergency CM Punk episode. And I'd, you know, made the mention of like, oh man, this could be a perception hit with AEW. And it's like, it wasn't really. Like, I think a, a lot of times we talk about, and not not just you and I, but I think kind of a collective, um, you know, just, you know, the hardcore fans that we are and the people that we interact with online and some of the other, you know, big voices and kind of wrestling media or whatever, talk about perception all the time. And it's like, AEW just did their best rating in a long time on Wednesday and CM Punk has been out of the picture for a couple months now. It's like some of the, I don't know. I just think, you know, the worry about like, Oh, this guy's going to leave and go somewhere else. It's like, you can, you can recover. And it gets kind of gets back to what we originally started with, with Okada. And I know he's, you know, in a different world uh, because you've never really had the very top Japanese born star in new Japan leaving for a North American promotion. It hasn't really happened before, but it's like you, you just have to book a good product and it's the benefit of having as deep of a roster and as many stars as they have. But like you can, you can deal with, even if it's arguably your biggest star, like CM Punk, certainly someone on the uh, level of Andrade who's really good, but isn't like a top top star. It's like these guys can go somewhere else. And you're fine. You mm-hmm. have other guys on your roster. And again, it opens up a spot for someone else, like a Daniel Garcia, for example. Like Andrade had like a certified spot on collision. He's gone now. A guy like Daniel Garcia is getting more time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and he's like getting more and more over every single week through some of these great matches that he's had. So it's just like you can lose a guy and you're fine, and you should focus on a guy like Daniel Garcia, who, you know, wants to be there and who has all the potential and have kind of has this groundswell of support as being this AEW original. So anyway, that's, uh, and when you look at like the, we'll say from the time of world's end up until now. So we've had about three weeks of shows or so. And I mean, the, 
with how things wrapped up in World's End, the Continental Classic before that, I mean, it's been a solid run of TV. Like, you are getting some incredible television, some great matches, and I feel like, like, AEW is on the rise with how people are viewing things, what they're providing for the fans. Yeah. You're doing all that without a guy like Miro. Like, he, is, he hasn't been seen since no. World's End. So, like, hey, that's another thing. Like, okay, well, we're we're rocking and rolling, and Miro doesn't want to be a part of this. Then go have fun because there are still other guys on the roster who aren't getting all that TV time, who are right. hungry for it. They want to be on there. They want to show what they can do. So Miro doesn't want to play ball. Go have fun. There's yeah. nine other guys who they may not may not have the same name as Miro, but they will go out there and be a part of everything. Be a part of the team. Right, and with a guy like, you know, one thing I like about Tony, and I think it might be maybe something that does give him a one up on WWE with some of these contract negotiations is he sees every single contract through to the end mm-hmm. In WWE. You essentially have a 90 day contract that starts over every single day because they could release you at any second. Tony hasn't released anyone other than he fired punk because punk was getting into fights all the time and yeah. you aren't allowed to do that. And I think he released Jimmy havoc for some kind of disciplinary reason back in 2019 or something. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, if you sign with, AEW for three years, then you know that Tony Khan is going to pay you for three years mm-hmm. is essentially guaranteed money. But if you, which I think, which I respect a, yeah. a lot, and it's it's a healthy thing that you finally you have a wrestling company that's treating this as guaranteed money and not as someone that you can just discard if you don't want to for some stock market purpose or whatever reason. So I think it's really good that he does that. But if there's instances where a guy like Miro, who like clearly doesn't want to be there and has an opportunity to go and make money somewhere else. It's like, fine. And you can lose Miro Miro jumping from AEW If he showed up on raw next week, it doesn't hurt AEW in the slightest. No. And uh, so it's not like I want him to start like just releasing people willy nilly or whatever. I, I respect that he holds these contracts right to the end, but if a guy requests his release, it, I wouldn't be worried about him going to WWE unless no. it's, you know, whoever Moxley or Danielson or Samoa Joe or something, but you know, otherwise let them go. Who mm-hmm. cares? It's not going to hurt you. And it, the perception stuff, like I said, is just, I think mostly just fake fun thing to talk about as a talking point, but it's not real. Yeah. Um. So that is, that's this week's transaction talk. We will continue on Um. the AEW main event scene. Yeah. Um, you got to talk about this. I feel that right now it is the hottest that it has been in months. Like I would go as far as saying it's the hottest it's been since we had MJF Danielson almost a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, right now you have, you've established that the AEW world title, it is what everybody wants with, you know, hook saying, Hey, my record is 29 and one. I want a title shot. You have Wardlow wanting it. You have hangman, you have swerve, you have, Kenny, even before that, saying like how he wanted to be into the picture before MJF lost. So you have established that the world title is the be all end all. And that's how it should be. You should have multiple guys going towards it. And right now with the current picture of Samoa Joe, Hangman, Adam Page and Swerve Strickland, I love the title scene. right now. It feels so fresh. It's so mm-hmm. nice not to have... Um, the world title wrapped up in the MJF devil bullshit stuff. And that was the thing, right? It was like, 
Um, and so having Samoa Joe, who is just this legitimate badass star, it's like you immediately get the title on him and it just feels right. And it feels big league and it elevates Joe too, because now Samoa Joe for the first time ever really in like a tippy top promotion, say what you want about, you know, impact and ring of honor, but it's like, this guy deserves this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he's the world champion in a big league promotion and it feels right. And the hook stuff was so simple. It was it started with like a 15 second promo on collision. And he's just like, Joe, I'm coming for you. And I was like, well, fuck, yeah. that was a match. I didn't know that I wanted to uh, see until this, you know, this promo, that match on Wednesday had big fight feel to it. It pulled a big rating too. So it wasn't just like guys like you and me that um, were loving this stuff. It was clearly drawing kind of like a bigger AEW audience. And um, it was a big deal. Um, and I just love what they're doing where it's like, you've had this great kind of TV program with Joe and hook, which I think they could extend further. I think there's like, you could do some kind of angle with Samoa Joe and Taz where like, you know, and get him involved where if you wanted to, like, if it feels like this is hot and you should maybe run with it a little bit further, I think you could, you could do another Joe hook match on television, or maybe even you could get it to revolution if you wanted to. But what I love is that they have, Joe as the centerpiece here, but you also have this hangman swerve stuff that is kind of percolating. And it's like, how are all these pieces eventually going to fit? And uh, so, yeah, what kind of direction do you think, where does this ultimately go? I mean, I do think it leads to a three-way at revolution. I think that is what we're, we're kind of on the the path for. And you do see people kind of talk about, um, you know, with the rankings coming back, okay, well, you have Swerve who's defeated Hangman twice already, so why should Hangman be in the title picture? And I was listening to Observer this morning, and Dave even mentioned, he he did bring that up, and but he said, but you could easily do something, you have enough time between now and the pay-per-view, where you could run Hangman and Swerve on a TV show, have Hangman get a win back, Swerve is still up two to one, and then you have you can insert hangman into that title program. So you can make it a three-way without the semantics of, well, swerve is up to nothing on. So the other thing with the, just to, sorry to get you off there. The other thing with the rankings too, is that uh, they reset at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. So um, so, um, essentially not, and that's a cheating a little bit. And I know that was a criticism of the ranking system before, but the two wins that Swerve had over Hangman were last year. Yeah. So if you are resetting the rankings, technically it's it's like it's a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all of that, I think you go into Revolution, you run Joe Swerve and Hangman. I think that would be a fantastic match. And how I kind of perceive going forward from that is, I think you have Swerve pin Joe to win the title. Mm. And coming out of that, you've already you have that dynamic with hangman and swerve and i think those are two guys that are always going to be locked together when it comes to feuds and just like yeah. the overall history of AEW. so you have swerve pin joe and coming out of that you run swerve hangman at double or nothing i think that ultimately then hangman because he can say hey i never got pinned at revolution i want a shot you can keep giving him some more big wins between then and double or nothing and then coming out of that swerve wins that leads to all in against osprey that's how i'm planning the summer of the swerve okay i like that let me throw you a different idea at you and we're we're also 
We're going to do a couple of quick mailbag questions at the end, but Danny, our guy, Danny, um, at awesome act, uh, asked this question too. Essentially we've already answered it, but I just want to give him a shout out. He yes. said, if you had the pencil, how would you book the Joe versus hanger versus swerve match? Um, presumably at revolution. So you just answered that. Um, uh, I wouldn't do a three way. Um, I just, I, I'm just, I'm partial to one-on-one matches, but if it is going to be a three-way, what I would do is I would actually have hangman pin Joe. Um, and what the story of that could be, you would then have a situation where hangman has won the title, but he still hasn't beaten swerve. Mm-hmm. And now swerve has also lost a second three-way match like he did in the semifinals of the continental classic. So remember it was swerve and Moxley and Jay white. Yes. And it was Moxley who pinned Jay White <clears throat> so that Swerve was never pinned. Um, and this would be now the second major three-way match that Swerve um, has has lost in, but not actually been pinned in. So what I would do, um, I would actually, like, if it were me, I would just do Hangman and Joe at Revolution. And f- the problem is, how do you, and I think the new ranking system actually gives you an out for this, is where Hangman somehow gets a big win over, like, they're actually setting up this week, um, it's Hangman against Penta. Uh, Penta. Oh, Tony is just <laughs> Tony is fucking on one, man. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's Hangman and Penta and Swerve against Jeff Hardy. So let's just say hypothetically. Now you, I don't know if you'd want to just do it after one week of matches, but let's say we have a situation where Hangman wins a couple and like I think Swerve should beat Jeff Hardy. But let's just say like the next week they kind of do the same thing, but this time Hangman beats whoever he's against and Swerve yeah. loses to whoever, and so that H- Hanger then in these new refreshed 2024 rankings is now ahead of Swerve, and then you get one on one Hangman versus Joe, but you have Swerve rightfully being able to say. Like I have two wins on you. So I'm next, like I should get a title shot against you too. And then he can work his way up the rankings. I just think, and you mentioned this too, hangman and swerve should be like a feud that they just, they should just be feuding from now until they're no longer in the company anymore. Like hangman and swerve has that like Omega hangman potential to me as being like one of the best long-term stories they've ever done. And to me, what would make the story kind of next level would be if the question at the heart of the story is will Hangman ever beat Swerve? And so right now he's obviously 0-2 like we talked about. And I think you could play into the story of somehow, number one, I think people want Swerve to be the champion so badly that I think you can extend this a little bit and like make them want it even more and more and more. And and I, I don't think it's the end of the world if you put the title on that revolution like your idea was. I think mm-hmm. that would work too. But I think you can kind of make people want it a little bit more. And so if you went to Joe, if you went to Hangman, um, from Joe to Hangman, and then make, you know, and then maybe you could, <clears throat> I what I would do is I would try to draw it out where you do Hangman and Swerve at All In. And I know we had talked about before having Osprey at All In um, in the title picture. I think that can work. But I think Hangman and Swerve is so hot and if you do the story of like, man, Swerve deserves the match, um, and then you, and then you have, but you know, can Hangman actually ever beat Swerve? He's 0-2 against him, and that can be your headline match at All In. Next year's All In can be about Osprey's chase for the title. Then he's there; he's been there for a full year. You also need some kind of hook to sell tickets to next year's show. You've already sold like forty thousand for this yeah. one, 
So that's kind of the direction that I would go if it is a three-way like I think is possible, like Danny suggested and, and you as well, then I would figure out a way to get it on hanger uh, without sort of getting pinned. Otherwise, I would do just a straight up hangman Joe at Revolution, hangman wins, and then Swerve um, beats him at All In. And then you still have that Swerve is now 3-0 against Hangman. Mm -hmm. And then one of the long-term stories of the promotion, like I said, is when can Hangman even beat this guy? And it can be kind of your long, you know, a long-range story type of thing. Uh, I'll say this as a final point, and it'll kind of segue into the one of the next topics because we've got a few more. Um, Hangman Swerve has potential to be what Ric Flair Sting was in the 80s and early 90s, where they are always interlocked. You will even see times where they show that they respect each other, have to team up for whatever reason. You can, there's ways to work it, but they will always be connected as like, there's something between the two. They will always feud. They will always be challenging one another. They will always be interlocked. Um, so I think with that going forward, I mean, Sting's retirement match was announced. We are yes. going to be getting Sting and Darby Allen against the Young Bucks. And there has been a lot of discourse about this already. People wanting, people not wanting the Bucks to be in the match. People saying, why isn't it in a singles match? And look, Sting hasn't wrestled a singles match in AEW. He said that he doesn't want to do it. So why would you do it? Why would you want to run him versus Darby? What is the story you're trying to tell? Let's move past that. Sting, he he picked who he wants to face in his final match. It's not like they were back there politicking, being like, no, it's got to be us. It's Sting decided. He wanted to be the match to be against the Young Bucks. And I cannot think of a better tag team for them to go against to maximize interest, to get a reaction from the fans than going against the Young Bucks in Greensboro. Yeah, this is incredible booking. This is the perfect match. And we we have spent multiple episodes brainstorming ideas about what this should be. And it's I don't even think I don't think we ever came up with like, did we ever suggest the Young Bucks? I don't think so. I think yeah, I don't think so either. And it was it's like sitting there right in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I just, this has a chance to be, um, and this is something that maybe we can try to talk about in next week's um, episode in the lead up to revolution, but this should, I think definitively be Sting's best match in AEW. Um, you know, they are going to like create the movement in the match. They're going to bump, um, for him like crazy. Like they're just the perfect opponents. Um, in the first episode, um, I tried to passionately, um, argue that like what you want in retirement like this, and this was before so many tickets had been sold. So I feel like this is going to be happening, but from a crowd heat perspective, in an ideal world, you want everyone in that building willing Sting to win one more big match for the final time. And the Bucks are going to be the hottest heels in this promotion, I think, mm -hmm. with this new gimmick. And every single fucking person in that building is going to be booing the shit out of the Young Bucks and trying their best to just through their emotional response and the crowd reaction to like get Stinger to win one more big one. And I just, the heat in that building is going to be so good. The match should be really good um, despite, and I think Sting is probably more limited now than he even was like a year ago. Like you can just yeah. kind of tell that, you know, um, they, you know, they've always used smoke and mirrors for the match, but they're going to, you know, continue to do that with all the brawling and whatever. But the Young Bucks are going to 
um, put together, I think, a great match here. One one wrinkle here is um, Darby and Sting have now, via a promo package, said that they want the tag team title, which mm-hmm. is my dream because I mentioned that in another episode too of like, I just want them. I want Sting and Darby to be in the tag team title lineage of this promotion. I want Sting to, I want, I'm just a fucking nerd for him. And I just want Sting to be able to say that he's been a champion in AEW. Now to me though, that complicates the finish because I think if the tag team titles aren't in the picture, the finish books itself, it's Sting goes over, um, babyface hero um, goes out on top. Young Bucks aren't hurt one iota by putting over Sting and Darby in this match. And the babyface goes over. It's the main event of the pay-per-view. You get to celebrate with Sting going out on top. If the tag team titles are on the line, I think that complicates um, things. Because if because then you could have Sting lose his match, which I don't think that's the end of the world. But it does take some level of celebratory of the celebratory nature of it out because sting is losing so you just don't you know that collective will of the audience that i think is going to be there there's kind of that come down if he goes um if he doesn't win they could retire as tag team champions um but then you've got to do some kind of tournament which maybe isn't the worst thing in the world maybe you could do some kind of continental classic with the tag team tournament it could be a good way to get back to kind of what you were banging the the table for in the last episode about really putting the focus back on tag team wrestling. But I just think that as much as I want them to be tag team champions, and I think they probably will be, um, I think my kind of idea would be to get Sting and Darby to beat Ricky Starks and Big Bill before the pay-per-view. And then the tag team titles would, they'd go into the pay-per-view as tag team champions. It Mm -hmm. won't necessarily be that just kind of my inkling. So how would you, what would your booking be here? Like uh, does the, does the tag team title, being in the mix complicate things for you or am I just overthinking this? No, I think it needs to be in the mix. Um, and for a few reasons, because when AEW first started, there was always the emphasis on the tag team division. And they even talked about the potential of the tag team championships headlining a pay-per-view one day. So yes. I think that this would be the perfect opportunity for it. And I think going yeah. into the match, I mean, the fans are going to hate the young bucks so much. They are going to want to see them lose. I think you have to go into the pay-per-view with Sting and Darby as champions. And I think at the pay-per-view, they lose to the young bucks. And I'm not saying this just because I love the young bucks, but the, there's always the old adage about going down, going out on your back. Like, you know, you're, you're hanging them up. You lose that last match. You put over the next kind of next generation. And with the promo that they talked about this past week on Dynamite, where they talked about, like, you know, he's from an era where, you know, like, they they, they kind of talked about that. And there's not tons of guys still in AEW like that, but there are some. And I, I can't remember who brought it up, but, like, the perfect kind of follow-up for something like that would be Christian and Edge, because they have the tag history. And I can't remember who brought it up. I think it was Dave Meltzer who brought it up, but, like, can you think of like a better transition down the ro- down the down the road from Sting to having the heel young bucks like that taking on a veteran team like Edge and Christian trying to like you know you have them going for one last run as tag champs and then like they got to go against the young bucks like yeah. that has like a dream match written all over it so even if they don't go with that i i love the idea of 
Sting and Darby going in as champs. You can even say like Sting, this is going to be my last match, but if we lose, we will vacate the titles. We will go out with no one defeating us, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, but ultimately I think they go with Sting and Darby losing and that's just the send off for Sting. He will have his big yeah. moment afterwards because the crowd is going to raise him up following that loss no matter what. They're going to give yeah. him flowers, show the appreciation he deserves. Man, that match is going to be that's going to feel so <clears throat> pardon me, huge on the day of mm-hmm. of like you're going to have so if the tag like if they're going in as tag team champions going against the team that I think is the best tag team of all time with the retirement match hanging over it with Sting and Darby's undefeated streak going into it. Like, it's just going to feel, I, I'm picturing it in my head, my dream scenario of this crowd just being so hot for Sting's last match. And it just, it's going to feel, it's going to have that big fight feel. People are, you know, so much, you know, so much of the time it's, you know, we don't get really hung up in like who actually wins and it's about mm-hmm. the quality of the match. And it's, you know, I think wrestling is at its best. It's part of the reason why I, I bet money on it is where like <laughs> the outcome is actually important. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and who wins like it, and it feels big and important. Like, you know, you know, we, we know that conceptually you can always like recover from a win or a loss with really good booking. But like when the stakes are so high that the outcome feels really, really important, the match just feels all the bigger, um, which is seems obvious, but you, you don't get it that much really um and so this match feels like it's going to be so huge i think i'm with you that if i I, although i'd be really curious from a betting perspective what the betting line ends up being on this match but Mm -hmm. i think it's probably going to be a battle between sting and the young bucks of like they're both going to want to put the other ones over um i think but i think but i think uh the less messy and probably just the the most sensical finish is like you say just have the bucks go over yes it'll be deflating for a moment but then the Bucks are going to leave. Sting is going to stand up and be recovering and everyone's going to give him a big standing ovation and you can do whatever ceremonial thing you're going to do anyway. So I think that's probably the cleanest way. You don't have to worry about a tournament or anything after you've got, you've got now the titles on the tag team of your company. And then going forward, you can, you know, get this tag team division in the spot that it's supposed to be. Yeah. I think that'll almost be like, it'll be the start of a reset for the division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was let's do let's do let's do the mailbag questions. A couple quick ones here, and then that'll be it. Okay. Um, I've well, I've got want, the question. Did you want to talk Jack Perry at all? Oh yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. So he, I mean, he returned at the New Japan Battle in the Valley last weekend, uh, going after Shota Umino, and ripped up his AEW contract. It seems like it's. I mean, ultimately building to the. I think it's Windy City Riots upcoming in April. Um, I looked at flight for that and it was ridiculous. So that's not going to happen, but I like, well, you have the, to get a ticket. You have to get a ticket first. There's they've sold out uh, the tickets that have been put on sale or you can't even get any right now. Brother, I'd pull some strings. Come on. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I like the idea of Jack being in new Japan. I, even if it's just for like a few shows or whatever, it's going to allow him to really kind of create the Jack Perry that he wants to continue pushing forward without being a focus point of AEW television. So it almost to kind of get his legs under him a little bit instead of going from the week to week kind of stuff he was doing in AEW before he was, you know, 
suspended. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of him being in New Japan. It's something fresh. It's an AEW wrestler kind of going over there for a bit instead of the other way yeah. around. So I like him. I love this. I, this is the exact, this is how you utilize a partnership with another major company. This is why you have situations like this. You have a guy who is has been suspended. You can kind of play into the real life thing. Not that anyone actually thinks that him ripping up the AEW contract means that he's quitting or whatever, but you can just kind of, you can willingly suspend your disbelief to that. It plays into the real life drama that people know about. Like this is, this is why you have these partnerships. And it's, you know, a lot of these times it's mostly been, now, FTR has done some stuff and Danielson obviously recently and is going again, but it's been a lot of like Moxley and Kingston that have been doing like the majority of like the matches from AEW guys being sent to New Japan. And this feels like fresh and different, like Jungle Boy hasn't done anything like mm -hmm. this. Um, and I saw some criticism of like, well, why waste the heat that he has coming off the CM Punk stuff in the New Japan ring? And it's like, well, the heat was with Punk. And you can't do that program, unfortunately. So how do you figure out kind of a way to me? It's, it's almost like what we talked about before, where sometimes you need to like wipe off the WWE sheen and go kind of prove yourself somewhere else. I think there are some people that would have just like hated what Jack Perry was doing in AEW so much anyway, because there's, you know, they're a hardcore punk fan or whatever, where this has kind of a chance to be like, oh, this is a kind of a cool idea. He's getting some like New Japan credibility and kind of he gets a chance to kind of work on his heel character and he's going to be that i don't think they've announced officially that he's going to be at the windy city riot show but like the jack perry being in chicago mm -hmm. the home of cm punk of like you can imagine the heat in that building it's going to be so good i can i, I totally understand why you wanted to get a plane ticket to see yeah they are not wasting any of the heat by doing something like that if anything if they're like building it up even more because yes if he shows up in aw television like yeah there because there's gonna be some booze there's gonna be some people who are upset or whatever but it's not it'll eventually it's just gonna dissipate you know like yes. until he continues doing whatever but to prolong it a few more months and oh his return match is going to be in chicago the place of his nemesis CM Punk. like <laughs> yeah the fans are going to be all over him this it has potential to be like cena in the hammerstein ballroom heat right i feel absolutely like, like they are going to be all over him Absolutely. And it's going to be a way it's going to it's kept uh, my New Japan World subscription that I um, ordered earlier this month for Wrestle Kingdom. They are doing a pretty good job. New Japan is of keeping me around because I want to see I want to see Okada's last match in uh, February. I want to see the Windy City Riot thing in April. They've got to figure out something in March for me. But uh, um, I, I love this. And, and it was a surprise that that Battle of the Valley show that happened on was fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like it. I love surprises. Like I was not expecting that at all. It's a cool angle to do. Um, and like I said before, it's like, this is what you have. This is why you have a partner like new Japan. Um, mm -hmm. Cause you can do angles like this that are really cool. He gets to just kind of can, you know, develop this outsider heel gimmick that he has. And yeah. um, it's perfect to me. You should be continuing to send guys over there, whether, you know, send a tag team over there too. Like, I mean, uh, Bishop, Juan uh, and I can't remember to, uh, Toliona. I think yeah, the Gates of Agony. Yeah. yeah, they went over there for the the World Tag League. That's exactly what you should be doing. Come time for the Best of Super Juniors, you should be sending a, one or two guys over there. Like for sure, it, it, they don't need to come out of it being victorious. They just need that experience. Yeah, 
absolutely. So hopefully he does work shows in Japan. Like if it is just a situation where he does an angle in San Jose in January and then he doesn't do anything else until April, like that would be pretty lame. So I yeah. hope it's not just a situation of like he's doing a couple North America shows, but that he goes over there. It's certainly at a time where not that most Japanese fans would think of Jack Perry as this huge star going over there, but they, you know, they could use an infusion of, you know, a guy that has some kind of notoriety of some, you know, of some kind. So hopefully he goes and does a couple tours and it's not just a North America, New Japan thing. Otherwise then, you know, you're not taking full advantage of it. I don't think. I do think leading up to the show, we're going to see him make an appearance in Japan, maybe do like a tag match against Shota, ultimately leading to the singles match in Chicago. But um, mailbag, you got the, you got the questions. We've got three questions other than Danny's we already did. So we had four. Yes. Um, so uh, one is from Leifer 1984. He actually has two questions. Mm -hmm. um, the second one, I don't think you're going to like very much. Uh, but the first <laughs> one, uh, he says, who are uh, do we have winning the Rumbles? Mm -hmm. um, so let's, I'll answer that one first. Um, I think now I would go. I've actually placed two bets on this already. Um, and my bets were on Cody Rhodes um, and Charlotte Flair. And so I bet I've made those bets, I think, in November. Um, well, in the interim, as you might have heard, The Rock has come back to WWE. <laughs> so I don't feel quite as great about Cody Rhodes getting that match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania anymore. So Cody winning the Rumble, I would not be a bet that I would uh, recommend anymore. Uh, Charlotte Flair, as you might know, had a major knee surgery. Uh, I think it was knee um, as of a couple weeks ago. So I also don't like the chances of my uh, bet on Charlotte Flair cashing um, anytime soon. So um, if you are placing some bets, I would place them on, uh, well, actually, let, let me bring up, I can have the odds here in just yeah. a minute. Um, I think uh, maybe while I'm looking this up, I would say CM Punk and Becky Lynch. Those would be my two uh, picks. Where, where are you on that and, while and I those, look up these odds? Those were the exact two that I was thinking of. I think it's the way they've built up the storylines with the with Rhea Ripley with you know what Punk's been doing I think that is the logical choices um if I had to go with two sort of like off the wall picks for it um man I mean I would love to see like Bianca get a win if I don't think she's hurt I think she's still going strong um Bianca and then from the men's division I mean I mean, to see Gunther win the Rumble would be something really special. And I mean, it would change a lot of what people are kind of thinking with WWE and it would elevate him even more. So, I mean, if I'm going to go to kind of, you know, Dark Horse picks, I'm taking Gunther and Bianca. So Punk is plus 150. So he's the betting favorite for the men's side. Um, Bailey is actually at plus 135 for the women as um, so she's the expected betting favorite. Becky Lynch is next at plus 200. Gunther's actually the third um, favorite. So it goes Punk, then Cody at plus 275, and then Gunther at uh, plus 300. I I was really, <laughs> while you were talking there, I had the, the names up on the website and I was, I was professional and I held in my laughter because I'm looking at the list of names here that you can bet on uh for the Royal Rumble and it's hilarious. MJF is plus 1000 by the way. Uh, if you want to waste some money and uh oh who's the other one? Oh. <laughs> JD McDonough is plus 15000. Um and Stone Cold Steve Austin 
is plus 25,000 to win the Royal Rumble. So if you really love losing money, um, you could make some really stupid bets. <laughs> oh. uh, Mercedes is actually listed at plus 1,200. Um, yeah, and uh, Jade Cargill is plus 300. So she's actually the third betting favorite for the women, despite the fact that she hasn't done anything in WWE so far. But I mean, I, I suspect that she probably will be in the Rumble. But yeah, um, yeah oh my God. Yeah, Lee... <laughs> Oh my God. It's fun. It's, it's fun to scroll through the list. It's just, it's like, you know, back in the day, remember you, when you were a kid and they would bring in like, I don't know, some, uh, I don't know, obscure someone like, I don't know, Mil Mascaris or something. It's like, we're getting a chance to make bets on those people that have zero chance of winning the Royal Rumble. It's just I, funny to me. I think with the 96 Rumble and like the headhunters showed up, like yes. Hunter A and Headhunter B. <laughs> and I thought that was the greatest thing. So like that is what should happen in the Rumbles. Like bring in just some wild card name that like people be like, oh shit. Like I I actually hate when they're like they have like 28 people who've already declared for the Rumble because I like surprises. Whether yes, it's, yeah. Whether it's a absolutely. Veteran, whether it's someone from NXT, like that makes it that much more special. So. And I know you mentioned this earlier too. Like I, I never watched WWE other than I watched some of the punk promo segments, mo mostly just for, so we could talk about it on the show. Royal Rumble next weekend. I've got a couple buddies coming over. Uh, we're going to watch it. We're going to have wings and beer and oh, salad. Yeah. Uh, and I would say it's funny too. It just uh, quickly, I know we're running longer than we wanted to here, but I, one of my most you know, annoying type of criticisms or way to evaluate wrestling is through this lens of like casual fans. <clears throat> Part of it is that they always get framed as being the exact same. And so Dave will do this. And I love Dave, but it's annoying when he does this. And Wade Keller does this too of like, actually Dave does it less so now. Um, he's less guilty of it, but it would be like, you know, always about, well, what can AEW do to track the casual fan? And then they would always construct them as being exactly the same as if every casual wrestling fan likes the same thing. Mm -hmm. I have legitimate friends who are casual wrestling fans who, and they mostly like, you know, WWE better. They just follow it more because it's a little bit, it's just kind of like traditional and they know it more. And so like these fans that are uh, a couple of buddies who are coming over next weekend for the Royal Rumble, they are casual wrestling fans. They don't follow it closely. They follow it a little bit and they know kind of what's going on, but not really. And it's like, they couldn't be more different. Like one of them, if every match was like a weapons match, they would be in heaven. They just love that stuff. Yeah. The other guy, when there, if there's blood, he gets like queasy and he doesn't like his kids watching, watching it. So it's like, I always, it's always funny to me whenever I see the casual fan arguments and whatever, where it's just like, well, this wouldn't work for a casual fan. It's like, well, you're you're operating under the assumption that every casual, yeah. quote unquote, casual wrestling fan likes the same shit, which they don't. And I know it because I actually have uh, friends. I'm sure you do, too. Most wrestling fans do mm -hmm. like know people that you're kind of like the guy that they go to if they see like, oh, The Rock came back. They would ask you about it because they yeah. you know, that's just kind of the thing that kind of breaks through to a, a bigger audience. But it's just it's always so funny to me because I just think about these buddies that will come over for occasionally an AEW pay-per-view, but it's usually like a WrestleMania or Royal Rumble. And it's just like, they couldn't be more different in what they like, but they're casual fans too. And anyway, I just wanted to, to bring that little anecdote. Uh, Punker uh, 19 or not Punker. That'd be funny. Uh, Leafer 1984. 
Uh, his second question, I'll ask you uh, this directly, Blair. Why are FTR the best tag team in AEW right now? I know Leafers trolling me right now, too. So, <laughs> Well, FTR is not the best tag team in AEW right now. FTR is not the best tag team in wrestling. They are a very good tag team. But the best tag team in wrestling right now is still the Young Bucks. They have done nothing to lose that position. They will continue to be there. And if anything, their EVP status will elevate them even more as tag team legends. Leifer, I love you. Take that, Leifer. Leifer, I love you, but FTR is not the best tag team in AEW. They are really great, though. I love them. All right, second question uh, from Mark Quill, and this we we mentioned this. I mentioned this with the Royal Rumble. Do you think The Rock gets the WrestleMania match with Roman Reigns? A hundred percent. I do not think that they are going to. I don't want to say waste, but they're not going to use The Rock in the Elimination Chamber. Not a chance. I, I think they even said Roman's not even going to be there. So right. we are going to get Rock versus Roman. I have no doubt about that. What's funny to me, and maybe I mentioned this on the last episode. Again, my memory's going on me. But what's funny to me is that for years and years, WrestleMania under Vince McMahon was presented as, and it was one of the reasons why that they never caught on with any kind of longer hot run was because WrestleMania was, this is the time of year where all the part-time old guys come back for one, one match and they fight each other and then they leave. And then our television from then on is all the guys that now we're going to try to pretend our main eventers but we're in like the fifth match from the top at WrestleMania. Uh-huh. And so you'd bring in Triple H and Shawn Michaels and Brock Lesnar and Undertaker and The Rock, and they'd all come back one night, and then they they would very clearly be presented as these are the actual stars. WrestleMania is the one uh, night a year. The big stars come, then they leave, and then you've got Seth Rollins and whoever. And it's like it made, it defined down their entire roster. Uh-huh. And what they have now, not that I don't like WWE, I still think it sucks. But you can't discount and you can't hand wave the success from a business perspective that they're having right now. Like they're pretty much every television taping they have has like 10,000 people there. Cody yeah. Rhodes is they've done a great job building him up as like the top star. And so what's funny to me is that now you have you've set up a rematch from last year's WrestleMania of or that you have it on the table of like doing Cody and Roman and actually getting Cody a chance to finish his story of like it's the most natural story it's with two of your own guys although roman is obviously a part-time guy now but you have the chance to give the world title to a guy like cody who is your definitive top baby face and your full-time guy and like professional wrestling is all about this this is what we talked about it before with part of what makes swerve of like everybody's like coming up with ideas like how do we get the title on swerve it's because this organic baby face is like has been made a star right before our eyes and you're just like this is fucking incredible this is what wrestling is all about is building these stars and now wwe has this opportunity Mm -hmm. to put the world title on cody against this red hot heel and roman that you've put all this heat on for years and years and years and like you have this moment in philadelphia you've already sold the tickets you don't even need the rock and but the temptation they just can't and i'm not even saying it's like you know the stupidest idea in the world to do rock and roman reigns it's this match that they've hinted the whole i think the whole head of the table phrasing comes from what was like partially used to eventually get to this match but if there's ever been a year that you haven't needed the rock this this is it and to me, I, I know I mentioned on the last episode, too, of like we were talking about Cody Rhodes's free agent status because there had been some reporting about it. 
And I had said to you, you know, I, I think part of why they're trying to get this contract sealed up with Cody is because they're going to do something at WrestleMania. Now I thought it would just be Roman going over on him, mm-hmm. but now it looks like maybe they're trying to lock up Cody long-term because he's not even going to get the, he's not even going to be in the main event of WrestleMania, let alone, um, yeah, have the opportunity to lose it again. So, um, Come home, Cody. Come back to AEW. This is bullshit. And I, I I honestly like, like I said, this is what you do. This is what you book wrestling for, and you have this opportunity, but they just can't get out of their own way of bringing back this part-time star. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because someone tweeted out, I think it was Drain Bramage. They will like tweet out clips and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, it yeah. was of one of Cody's last promos before he left AEW. It was like two years to the day where he even talked about like you know, I, I got, it was building up the match with Sammy for the TNT titles. Like, Oh, you know, like I got a contract in the mail from Tony. It's not the one I was wanting, but I signed it. And here we are, you know, building up to the match with Sammy Guevara and like all the stuff that he talked about. And I'm, all I could think is like, I want Cody back yes. very badly. So, I mean, with, with this, I, I hope that's not the case. Like, Maybe this is like punishment for Cody leaving because even Daniel Bryan got a world title win from the organic groundswell of fan support. Yeah, but man, you got to feel for Cody if he doesn't get a dub. And not to mention, I mean, the match is going to be bad with The Rock. Like The Rock was blown up by doing a people's elbow when he came back against Jinder and did that. Like the match will be bad. And I know WWE fans. I mean, in the whole like it doesn't the match quality is not as important in WWE as it is in AEW where the expectations are that every pay-per-view is going to be excellent. But like, and I understand the star power. There's like, he's the biggest name that you could possibly have. But to me, it's like, you're just, I don't know you're ignoring what's right in front of your face um, by not having your biggest baby face who's full-time win the world title. And and it's not like what is, we're not even in an era where it's like, he's going to move numbers for you necessarily. You're already hot. And it's like, you're not selling pay-per-views anyway. No. Um, so, and you've already sold, like you're going to sell out either way. So it's like from a business perspective, it's like, I, I just don't see whatever like incremental, maybe like mainstream press or whatever buzz you might get, ver- you know, by having the rock there versus Cody. I don't think it's enough to like not finish this story and not that they can't finish it down the line, but it really feels like if you do this twice, like, People were really upset from what I gathered, you know, last year when Cody lost. It's like, you're essentially, you know, this is almost worse because he's not even getting the match. So to me, it's, I don't know. uh, It's not how I would do it. And with The Rock, I mean, he is not the same star when it comes to Hollywood that he was even like four years ago. Yeah, like he's he's lost something. Yeah, he's still a star. But like you look at the last few movies, like Black Adam was a massive bomb at the box office. Like he does not have the same, I don't want to say appeal, but like the same aura around him as when he you know, was a massive star, putting out those great movies, would come back periodically, the fans ate it up. Like, yeah, the fans are still eating up, but he's missing something now. Yeah. So. One, la- one last question. This is yes. from, a do- from a Dr. Internet, uh, who is a great follow on Blue Jays Twitter. He says, what did you think of Mabel winning the King of the Ring? I liked Mabel. His attire was always shiny and cool. (laughs) Okay, we talked about the new generation era a little bit earlier, and men on a mission were a big part of it. I 
<laughs> I I was very much a fan of them as a 12, 13 year old kid watching them. I mean, because when Tag Team came out with Whoop, there it is. Yeah. It was a huge hit. So being at that age, I was a fan. Um, with Mabel and of course, winning... Mabel winning the King of, of the Ring also, of course, led to the greatest main event in SummerSlam history in 1995, which was Diesel against King Mabel for the WWF Championship. It was a five-star classic, um, has never been topped since. Um, even when I was a kid, like I, you, I, I remember too, we were just talking about casual fans. Like there were a couple of like, I would have been... 95 i would have been nine uh what grade would i have been in it feels like grade i don't know whatever grade you would be when you're nine but i remember like there were a couple of kids that like kind of were into wrestling at the time but not as much of it as i was but they knew the whoop there it is and they knew men on a mission like they knew who mabel was um so anyway it's a that's a classic doctor internet uh question there to ask about mabel um but yeah, maybe one of the worst uh, King of the Rings of all time would Look, be 1995. I, I got heat with Mabel because for my other podcast, the Green Maker Wrestling Podcast, I reviewed the In Your House that was from Winnipeg. And on that oh, okay. match, there is a Mabel versus Yokozuna match. And it is one of the worst things I have ever seen. It oh is a terrible God. match. So, of course it is. I've got yeah. heat with Mabel. So. 95, tough, tough year for uh, the WWF. Was it ever? So we're going to wrap things up. Um, for myself, if you're not following me, uh, Grainmaker Podcast up on Twitter. And if you've got emails, hit us up either on Twitter or you can email chillingwithjrandblair at gmail.com and uh, we will get to it at, in the next month. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, at Jay's Retro on Twitter. And yeah, next time you hear from us, it'll be towards the end of February. So what we'll probably do is we'll try to time it up where that can be our preview episode for Revolution too. So we'll record maybe the week before Revolution. Hopefully we've got a clear idea on like a full card. And so, yeah, if you think of any questions in the meantime, whether about Revolution or otherwise, send it to us on Twitter or that email address. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys next month. Awesome. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, guys. We'll talk soon.